Amen. Morning all. How are we doing? Great to see you. And if you're joining us online, great to... Do I see you? Yes. Great to see you as well if you're online. Uh, thanks for joining us online. If you're um, uh, joining us live, that's great to see you here from St Albans, but we'll also see you, some of you during the week, I guess, or weeks ahead. Um, so look, welcome. So we are, if you're new with us, we are, as uh, Ant says, in week three of a four-part series about marriage. And uh, I guess you wonder why we're doing this thing. It's because we believe in marriage and we value marriage. And I guess sometimes we feel that the world doesn't believe in marriage or doesn't value it very much. But we believe good marriage is a blessing from God. And it's right that we talk truth into that and we often feel it's under attack in our society today, don't we? So uh, we're doing that by looking at some ancient marriages in the Old Testament, so going back thousands of years and see what they've got to teach us. So if you were here two weeks ago, uh, Lance and Kerry unpacked the story of Ahab and Jezebel, some particularly bad things in that marriage uh, that taught us some lessons. Uh, Last week, John talked about Jacob and Leah. And uh, Ant and Sarah have got the, um, uh, sorry, Ant and Joe, sorry, I don't know why, why, maybe you're doing it, Sarah, I didn't know. Ant and Joe are going to look at Hosea and Goma next week. That wasn't a prophetic word. Um, So look, so good stuff to come, good stuff in the last few weeks. As I often say, it's good to hear the whole thing, so go on to our YouTube channel if you missed one, hashtag Coastline Vineyard, and you'll find some stuff up there that hopefully you can enjoy and will bless you. So I've got the privilege of looking at the marriage of Abraham and Sarai. And straight away, I'll quickly say Abraham and Sarah. It's a bit confusing because their names change during the story uh, we're going to look at today. So if you hear me flip-flopping between Abraham, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, just forgive me because I might place the, the name in the wrong part of the story, but it doesn't really matter. God understands. Um, but look, this whole subject is been a difficult one, particularly for Chanita and I this week. Um, it's been a particularly tough message to prepare. Um, obviously, I'm going to touch on some areas that are painful for us and for some of you here, because the story about Abraham and Sarah is about the fact that God promised them to be the father of many nations, and they went through this long, long wait uh, before Sarah finally gets pregnant. And the story of our ourselves is that we unfortunately didn't have kids. We had um, we have two in heaven is the phrase we use. We had uh, two that we lost at eight weeks, uh, and that's as far as it ever went for us. Okay, so you can imagine this has been a pretty difficult subject to talk about. In fact, to the point where I think Tuesday this week I was thinking that's it. I can't do it. You know, I need to pick up the phone to John and said, "Sorry, John, you have to find somebody else." You know. Um, and, and so I'm saying this because I want to put a pastoral care sort of message out there to say, look, you know, some of what I talk about today might be quite painful for some of you. Maybe in a slightly different way, but, but might be quite painful. And 
of course, we often say this is a place of love and support and care and we want to be welcoming and supporting and caring of each other. And of course, on a Sunday morning, there are folks here that are willing to pray with you. But I do want to flag up that we've got a great pastoral care team as well. So look, um, if you would value some ongoing support in, the, in some difficult areas that get raised today, then I just want you to know that you're loved and cared for by some special people who um, were there to walk along the journey with you. Uh, so look, just but for, for Janita and myself, it's been a particularly tough Things to face up to. Uh, you can imagine what I felt parts this week. I was grieving for my loss of my kids. That's how you know the enemy had a go at me again this week, and it was perhaps a good healing thing in one sense, but it was tough. And look, and just look after you know uh, my wife as well, and all the emotions that she's had on it. So just pray for us, right? That's what I just want to say. Just please pray for us, but please obviously respect where we're at because you know much as. Um, you know, we've got some great people that have spoken into our lives and continue to speak in our lives, great friends and family that do that. And uh, just give us you know, the space we need to be able to process where the Lord is with us, particularly after this week. So please don't bombard us with lots of well-meaning messages. Not that your heart is wrong, but just, you know, just, just give us the space we need, really, to a certain extent. Uh, to the point where, unfortunately, Janita couldn't be here today. She's going to try and watch this back on, online. Um, so a tough week, a tough week. And I think it's been a particularly tough week because of the nature of the subject that we're talking about, I know is also going to be difficult, say, for some of you folks here, perhaps in a different way, but but certainly an equally painful way. And and I was reminded as I was kind of wrestling with all of this, whether I should do it, whether I should be here and everything else, I'm reminded of um, Johnny Abbott's words a couple of weeks ago where he said, you know, we never promised a happily ever after, are we? You know, we kind of sometimes have this lovely chocolate box uh, kind of picture of what life's going to be like. It's all beautiful and everything else. And, and that's not the promise, right? That's not the promise of God. But God is more interested in our character than he is with our comfort, as we often say during our discipleship journey. And sometimes, the times like we, we expect there to be a happy ending, to be a glorious, wonderful ending. And that's not necessarily what we're promised. So in periods of pain and periods of difficulty, particularly when things don't work out in our marriages or in our lives as we expect them to, we find ourselves asking some pretty straight and honest questions. And and I've been doing that this week. I've been asking God some pretty straight questions when I've sometimes felt my life hasn't quite worked out what I had dreamed about some years ago. Questions like, does God still care for me? Does he really have a plan for my life from here and my marriage? Does God have a good plan for me? Is he still good? Is he still faithful? And as I've wrestled with some of these things this week, my emphatic answer is yes. God does care about me. He is still good. He's still got a great plan for my life. He is still faithful. And I say that because as we approach the story of Abraham and Sarah, we're going to have a look at it now together, I want us to see it through that lens that God is still good. He is faithful. He's always good. And he's got a great plan 
for their lives and for our lives as well. So turn with me, if you can, to Genesis 12. If you've got a Bible, it'll come up on the screen as well. And uh, there's a lot to cover here, a lot of ground, because we're covering the whole story, which goes over several chapters. Um, but we're gonna, just going to dip in and out of various places of the story. So forgive me for you know, just doing that. It's a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the life of Abraham and Sarai. So we're going to get to Genesis 12, verse 1, and we're going to read this story. The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. And note this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It says in verse 4, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I mean, what a phenomenal thing. I mean, if you look back in that sort of context of Genesis there, you don't read much about Abraham other than his um, kind of genealogy. And yet, out of the blue, it seems, God pronounces this sevenfold blessing that every nation on earth is going to be blessed through you. Imagine how that spoken over your life. And God says, as part of this, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Let me just give you a bit of context for that, because that wasn't as easy as it sounds. Um, because if sometimes we can flick over these boring passages in the Bible. In Genesis 11, there's one of these lovely genealogy things. You know, someone was 100 years, and then this, that, and then that, and they, they begat such and such, and they begat such and such. If you've got the AV version, that's what you just say. Right? But, but you know what I'm saying? So we kind of skip over those boring bits. But if you look at that... Some of these guys were around, I know it's bonkers, right? But some of these guys were around for hundreds of years. So some of the scholars I read said that probably about nine generations of family were still around when Abraham was there, right? And had this call. So, and his dad had just died. And yet God says to him, leave all that, leave all this. You can imagine the advice he was getting from all his granddad and his great-granddad. You want to do that, son? It's crazy. You know, you can imagine it, all right? And yet he did it. He, he got up from all of that context and went to this strange foreign land. In fact, Hebrews 11, uh, if you know that passage, we sometimes call it the Hall of Faith. Famous people had great faith in the Bible. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, this was a massive thing of faith that Abraham and Sarai had, had uh, kind of gone through. Uh, Hebrews 11, I think we might have it on the screen. He says, by faith... Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, note later, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. But by faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. The faith he had to leave all that and make his home in a strange land was pretty fantastic. So things started out pretty well for the marriage of Abraham and Sarai, and you know, that's often the way our marriages and our lives can be sold off pretty well, okay, pretty fantastic. But sometimes and often disappointments and heartbreak comes. And at times like that, God calls us to ride out the storm with him. But it's so easy to get blown off track, isn't it? So easy to get blown off track. And with the weight of this 
fantastic promise and blessing spoken over. They were blessed all nations on earth. They were taken to a foreign land now. And I think the burden and pressure of this got to them. And sometimes like that, when that pressure is on us, we can, and this is the first lesson I want us to learn from the, the marriage of Abraham and Sarai, is that we can sometimes too easily fall into fear. Fall into fear. Let's dip back into uh, Genesis 12 and now look at verse 10. See what happened next. There was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt now to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know that you're a beautiful, uh, what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be separated, separate, life will be spared, sorry, because of you. I mean, what happened to his trust in God now, right? He obviously thought he was for the chop. Yeah, this, I will make you into a great nation. Where did that go? Because last I looked, you need both of them to stay alive for a bit longer, right? But he clearly thought he wasn't that bulletproof. So he said, say you're my sister. We'll get away with it. It's fine. I mean, talk about bonkers. I mean, you can imagine the conversations at Pharaoh's kind of dinner party. I mean, pretty awkward, right? You know, of course, you know. Abraham, your sister's great, isn't she? She's really great. Yeah, there's something I should probably tell you, Pharaoh. Um, Now, don't get cross, but (laughs) I mean, crazy, right? He lets it run as well because it says, obviously, that um, he was treated well. He had camels and donkeys all given from Pharaoh because he was the brother of this beautiful woman. I mean, mad, just mad. And, of course, we we get down to verse 17 and we we find out the Lord steps in and gives all these kind of crazy diseases to Pharaoh. And he says, look, I I realize now she's your wife, so go, gone. And that's the trouble, right? When we fall into fear, we can get into some pretty crazy places. That's not the place God wants us to live. God doesn't want us to live our marriages, our lives in fear. And they leave Egypt and they go back to Canaan and things seem to go well again. And um, we haven't got time to look at Genesis 13 where God blesses him and tells, even though Lot wants to go off and take some land one way and and God says, look, you're going to be tremendously blessed. And in Genesis 15, we have this binding, this promise becomes a binding covenant between him and God. But still nothing. Their biological clock continues to tick. Nothing still happens about this future, these generations to come. And then we learn another lesson from the life of Abraham and Sarah. And I I get it, okay? But at times of difficulty and strain and pain, we can sometimes get ahead of God. You see, God is very rarely early, but he's never late. He's always on time. And he's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. The number of times I've tried to fix things for myself, to do things in my own efforts. And sometimes we think, well, God, you're not answering my prayers, right? You're answering his prayers or her prayers, but you're not answering my prayers. We are never going to be in a place of peace if we try and outrun God. And sometimes through the pain, we can be too tempted to fix it 
for ourselves. Fix it for ourselves. And that's kind of what Abraham and Sarai did. And let me just say this, particularly to the fellows in the room, right? It's not wrong to admit that you don't have a solution. You don't have to be Mr. Fix-It. You don't have to have the answer. It's okay to say, I don't know what to do here. It's okay to say, I don't know how to get out of this crazy situation. It's okay to say, the only option we have left is to trust and to receive God's provision in his good time. And Abraham and Sarai don't do that. Look at Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abraham So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to a husband to be his wife. He slept with her, and she conceived. It's not as crazy as you think it is, right? Or as perverted as you think it might be. Because it kind of happened in those days, right? But the thing was, notice the words in verse 2, Sarai's words in verse 2. I can build a family through her. Abraham, I've got the solution. I can fix this. We can fix this. I can find a solution for us, Abraham. I can build a family through her. It was not the plan. It was never the plan for them. That wasn't God's promise for them. That was not God's intention for them. I can fix it. I can sort it out. It was never the plan. It was never God's intention for the blessing to come this way. And I get it, right? I really get it. Because at this stage, they've probably been 20 years in the waiting. And the heartbreak and the pain from that. I get it. I really get it. And in all that confusion and all that pain and all of that hurt, so, so tempting to say, let's fix it for ourselves. Let's outrun God. That wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. And finally, I hope the lesson that we're going to learn from the marriage of Abraham and Sarai is rather than flying away in fear and getting to a place where we try and fix it ourselves, we need to be those that faithfully follow. We haven't got time to read, as I said right at the beginning, we haven't got time to read all these lovely chapters. We get a chance to read them, it's a great story. But if you read through 16, Genesis 16, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, you see how God, God's voice almost seems to be getting louder and louder and louder and the message stronger and stronger and stronger that the promise is going to come. In fact, God even at one stage even changes their names to say, this is before they even had kids, God changes the names and calls them, you're going to be called Abraham, which means the father of nations, and you're now going to be called Sarah because you're going to be the mother of nations. Okay? So God even puts it on their, on their birth certificate, you could argue, right? Crazy, right? But notice what happens. With all this blessing and all this reminder of God's promise over them, note what happens in Genesis 18. In fact, Genesis 17 and 18. Actually, let's look at 17 first of all. 
when God says to them, look, this is going to happen pretty soon now, right? It says, Abraham fell down his face and just laughed. He just laughed. It's really going to happen now after all these years? He just laughed. In fact, not just Abraham, Sarah did it as well. In Genesis 18, it said, when the, the angel said this is going to happen, she just laughed. But God's response to their kind of derision in one sense, that the promise was finally going to be fulfilled, must have cut them right to the heart. Like a, one of those laser moments where God drills right in, right? Right to the point. Genesis 18.4. God, God says to him, is anything too hard for the Lord? You're laughing, but is anything impossible for me? Is anything too hard for me? Is it? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The maker of heaven and earth. Is anything too hard for the Lord? As we come into land here, I just want to speak into what, it, what is it that you're, you're waiting on for God this morning? What is it that, that's hanging heavy over you this morning? What are you waiting for? Let me speak these words of love over you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. The pain that we are carrying over this, I don't feel this wound can ever be healed. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But you don't understand my situation. You don't understand my my wife or my husband, the relationship is broken down beyond all repair, I think. Don't you think God in his infinite power and wisdom can't change your situation in an instant? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Financially, I don't know how we're going to survive. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills next year. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I've always wanted to be married. But I've never found the right lady, right man. I think I'm running out of time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And in my pain and suffering this week, and it's been pretty crazy, right? The Lord graciously, in my readings, not that I necessarily went there because we talked about Hebrews 11, but the Lord, the Lord took me there in my, one of my readings that I, I do. And I got to the verse at the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews. And it says this, and it's one of those moments where the Lord goes, <laughs> a big highlighter pen comes up. Um, and it's this, 11.39, and the context here is the writer to Hebrews has kind of put this catalogue of kind of heroes of faith and the great things they did and all these things, brilliant sort of, you know, if you know the chapter, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it says at the conclusion of the chapter, verse 39, these, this list, were all commended for their faith, which they were. Yet, and this is the thing I read, and well, never read this before, Yet none of them received 
what had been promised. Hang on, hang on. They were all commended for the faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, says the writer, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, there was something better coming, because obviously the the catalogue here was of Old Testament heroes of faith. In other words, Jesus was coming. Something much, much better. That was the real promise. And this was my thing. I thought, well, hang on a bit. Surely Abraham did receive what was promised. He had a son, okay? Isaac. But I felt the Lord saying, that wasn't the promise. That wasn't the promise that I spoke over him. The promise was that through him all nations would be blessed and that only came with Christ. So the story we read, even when they have a son, is not the finished story. The story gets finished later in Christ. And I felt the Lord lovingly saying to me, your story hasn't finished yet either. Your story hasn't finished yet either. And let me speak these words of life for you, my dear friends. Your story hasn't finished yet either. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. God hasn't finished with you yet. So live in hope, dear friends. Live in hope. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord.